I, I like that last sentence that we got. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And, and yet that's not something new to us if we've been reading along in the book of Luke. We, we've seen this idea over and over again. All throughout the gospel of Luke, we see the Son of Man. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. I, chapter 15 famously has three pictures that, that depict this for us that God has come to rescue his people uh, like a shepherd who leaves 99 in order to pursue one lost sheep. He, he searches with all the diligence of, of a woman trying to find her one lost coin, that he runs out of love, or that he, he seeks and saves the lost with all the love of, of a father who runs to embrace his son that he thought was lost to him forever. Jesus himself has made this point before. The, the religious leaders, the, they keep grumbling about who Jesus is spending time with, and he's not spending time with those that add anything of value to him. They don't build his brand. They don't bring any money. They don't bring any authority to Jesus. He's spending time instead with tax collectors and sinners. Even as Jesus calls Levi a tax collector to be his disciple, to be his follower, he teaches us that it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick he has come to seek and save the lost. Even when Jesus started his ministry, all the way back in Luke chapter four, uh, he, he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he reads to, to the people as he's starting off his ministry. Uh, Luke four, verse 18, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. With his own words, quoting from Isaiah, he says this is exactly what he's come to do, to bring good news for the poor, to set at liberty those who are treated unjustly, those who are captives, to bring sight to the blind. This is what Jesus says that he has come to do. He has come to seek and save the lost. And so my question for us, hearing all of this, seeing what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished, who he is, that he has come to seek and save the lost, what is our response? When we hear all of the incredible, uh, all that's incredible that Jesus does, when we hear the beauty of his grace, the wonders of his love, when we see time and time again how he shows kindness to those who others were unwilling to be kind to, when he shows love to those that could do nothing to earn his love, when we see story after story of the beauty of Jesus, when we see story after story of him coming to seek and save the lost, how do we respond to the seeker? What I think we see in our passage today is that we respond, a response to the seeker must, must involve following him and repenting. How do we respond to this when we see all that Jesus does? We respond to the seeker by following him, living for him alone and repenting of how we lived before we knew him. 
So let's focus on that first part. We respond to the seeker by following him. And I'm actually going to start us off today in uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, Luke 18, starting in verse 35. It says this, as he, this is Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And and hearing a crowd was going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. We, we have this account where Jesus is, is near Jericho. He's, he's been traveling towards Jerusalem, and he's been doing this ever since chapter 9. Luke 9, he sets his sight to Jerusalem, and he's almost there. He, Jericho's just outside of Jerusalem. He's almost to his destination. And, and while he's there, we're told that there's a blind man just outside of Jericho. Uh, the, this uh, story is captured in, in the book of Mark as well, and we're given a name for this man. He's called Bartimaeus there. So blind man, Bartimaeus, wh- whatever we call him here, both seem to work. And because he can't see, he asks a question, wh- what's going on? What's this big crowd gathering for? And he's told that Jesus is passing by. Now, clearly he's heard something about Jesus that causes him to shout out, Maybe he's heard about the miracles that he's done. Maybe he's he's heard some of the incredible things that he's doing, how popular he seems to be wherever he goes. Who knows, maybe he hears the story of how he started his ministry and what he said he has come to do, to give sight to the blind. I certainly think that would be a message that this blind man would be hopeful for, right? And so out of his desperation, he calls out, now, we hear about him being a blind man, but, but this would have meant that his, his entire life would have been impacted. There's, there's no uh, ADA regulations. There's no infrastructure put in place to care for blind people. He is, is forced by his blindness to be a beggar. He lives off of the mercy of others, off of the care for others. His entire life is one of desperation where he, he, uh, his comfort comes whether or not people are willing to treat him mercifully. And what we have in this passage is that people aren't reacting to him very mercifully here. He's calling out to Jesus for, for mercy and he's being told to be quiet. They, they, they must wonder, what, what is it that Jesus would stop and do for you? What, what is it that, that would make him stop for you, someone who can't bring anything to him? Or maybe they're wondering, what if we can't hear something significant that Jesus says because this insignificant man is shouting out? But desperation doesn't stop because it's inconvenient. And he cries out, all the more, begging for mercy. What I find fascinating is looking at the, the, the names that he calls out to Jesus. I mean, simply, but he calls out Jesus. He calls out to him by name, the name given to him by God as the Son. And it's a name that tells us what it is that he does, that he has come to save. That's what the name Jesus means, God saves And this man is begging that Jesus will live up to his name and save him. 
He calls out to him, son of David. The Old Testament promised someone would come and make all things right, that, that it was promising that, that this uh, individual would come and, and solve things, bring peace, bring hope, bring mercy. And this man is saying, that is you. Uh, eventually in the passage, he'll call him Lord. This individual who's worthy of all obedience over all else. I, I find this so interesting that, that we have this crowd of people surrounding Jesus and yet it's this man who seems to know him better than anyone else just by what he calls him. Jesus, son of David, Lord. Nowhere uh, in, in the book of Luke to this point, has anyone so rightly identified Jesus? And this crowd of people who are flocking to him, who get to see all the incredible things that they are doing, they're missing that. They're trying to silence this man for speaking truth. What is it that this blind man sees that all, everyone else misses? Let's pick it up in verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. We have this incredible truth that this blind man saw something in Jesus that the others did not. And he was begging for mercy, begging that Jesus would come and do what he said that he would do, that he gives sight to the blind, that he has come to save. And Jesus draws near to him, Jesus approaches him, Jesus comes by to him, by his initiating, by him seeking out this man. We have this incredible truth that his faith has made him well. I, I want to I ask a, a question, and, and this is one of those times where I'm asking an actual question, not a rhetorical one. Uh, when we look at the descriptions of this man, what do we find out about him? So in, in verse 35, there's one adjective that's given to describe this man. What, what is that adjective that's given to us? He's blind. So one thing that we know about him, he is called blind. What's, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think it's, it's fascinating. Uh, this one identifier that we have, this one piece of description that we have about this man, because of Jesus, because Jesus seeking him out, he is no longer known by that thing. So I, you can imagine that, that he is, is spotted by people that he used to beg to, that he used to uh, depend on their mercy from, that, that he used to hope would care for him and, and they'd see him and they'd talk to each other. Oh, look, it's the blind man. No, no, no. You cannot call me that anymore. That's not who I am. I am no blind man. See, because Jesus coming near, by, by Jesus seeking out this man, this thing that used to define this former blind man, that is not who he is anymore. Instead, he is given a new name, a new identity, a new purpose. He is no longer called by what used to define him. And he lives out of that new identity in verse 43. 
He has been given sight. He has been saved. He can now go and create a life for himself. He's able to work. He's able to see friends and family. He's able to go up to the people who didn't help him and, and rub it in those jerks' faces. He's able to, to experience beauty and, and nature. He, he's able to, to look at, at the wonder that is God's creation and marvel at that. But he chooses to not do any of those things. Instead, he thinks that the most valuable thing to do with his new sight, the most important thing that he can do with these eyes that can now see is to turn his eyes upon Jesus. And he follows him, glorifying God along the way. And so I, I wanna ask us, do we see this Jesus who has come to seek and save the lost? Do we see that he has come he has drawn near to us. He has gone by like he has gone by where this blind man was. And as he does so, he brings salvation. He brings hope. He brings restoration and reconciliation and rescue. That because of him, we too are given a new name, a new identity, a new purpose, a new family. That we are no longer known by some trait or some action that we have done in the past, some characteristic, some flaw that used to define us. That because of him, that we aren't called by our worst days and our, our foulest moods. That we are not known by our weakness. Instead, we have a new identity. We are called a disciple. We are his follower. We are included into him. And because of that, we have been restored, like this, this blind man's sight, this former blind man's sight has been restored. So in him, we turn. In him, uh, to him, we follow. We, we look to this Jesus for all direction, all, uh, all insight into life, all, all ways that we are to live as we follow after him. Because if we have seen that this Jesus has come, if we have seen the seeker like this blind man did even before he had sight, well, there is only one, then the only possible response is what we see him do, is to be his disciple, is to follow him. How do we respond to the seeker? We respond by following him. We have another story, and it was the one that was uh, read for us earlier. It's, it's linked by geography. It also takes place around the city of Jericho, but it's also linked by theme. And so now we, actually, we get into to chapter 19, which is where it was actually supposed to be this entire time. Uh, but in, in uh, Luke 19, we have another answer to that question. How do we respond to the seeker? Well, we respond by repenting. How do we respond to, to Jesus coming to seek and save the lost? We respond by repenting of how we used to live before he came. Uh, let, me, let me read Luke 19, one through four again. It says, he, as was pointed out, this is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by that way. 
So here, here we have another story about a tax collector. And maybe you're getting sick of me pointing this out every single time. We know that at the time, a tax collector was someone who worked for the Roman government and they were seen as traitors. We know that they got to keep whatever tax they could collect beyond the minimum requirements. And so they were very corrupt people. And of course, you would be right for saying that. You are, after all, very wise and beautiful people. Uh, but we have a specific description of Zacchaeus. He is a chief tax collector, which means that he was even more despised by the Jewish people. His job was to oversee a group of tax collectors. He made money when they made money. So essentially it's this, his, his income came from his ability to exploit people who were exploiting people. What a great guy. We, we don't tend to get that in our songs. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he uh, because it, it makes it sound nice and friendly. But when we look at him, he's a really nasty beast of a human being. But that's not quite a sing song, so it doesn't make it into the song. And yet he is interested in Jesus. He wants to see him. We, we don't know why, but we know how interested he is. Now, when, when I am in a crowd and, and there is uh, someone shorter than me, uh, it, isn't it easy to let them stand in front of me because they can now see and it doesn't impact me? I can now see too. I, I mean, I get to be nice without actually having to sacrifice anything. And that's the dream. Now, granted, that dream rarely happens because I don't often find people shorter than me, but still, uh, the crowd doesn't do that for Zacchaeus. Why? Well, it shows how much disdain they had for him, that they were unwilling to help him, even if it came at no cost to themselves. That is how little they wanted to help him. But Jesus wants to see Jesus. That's, uh, uh, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. That's all he is focusing on. And so he goes and climbs up a tree. Now, sometimes I, I try to help us understand what was the culture at the time that might uh, aid us in reading the Bible. It's not that it's magical or that we have to know that to, to understand. It, it's just helpful to see uh, as it was written in the first century, what do we need to know about the first century that, that might help us to read it a, a little bit more clearly. I, I don't think I need to do that on this one. Uh, imagine you're outside and you see a full-grown man without any kids with him climbing a tree wearing very, very fancy and expensive clothes. Don't you think something's wrong with him? Don't you steer your kids away from him? Uh, we're going to the other side of the park today. And that's what's going on here. This man is acting incredibly shamefully. He is going to get talked about. People are going to stare at him. He's going to lose even more status in society, which we wonder how much further can he go? He'll lose status even with tax collectors for acting so shamefully this way. But Zacchaeus doesn't care. He doesn't care about the whispers. He doesn't care about people staring at him. All he wants to do is see Jesus. That's all he wants. This is shameful desperation. This isn't some mild curiosity. So I'm wondering, what's all the fuss about about Jesus? This is him in shameful desperation even to get a glimpse at him. 
when I say that we know how interested he was, he's willing to do whatever it takes even just to see him. And we have to ask why. Why does he do this? He knows what's going to happen. He knows what people are going to say. He knows that, that he's going to have a more difficult time working because of this. Why would he go through all of this just to catch a glimpse at Jesus? What does he know about him? What does he hope about Jesus? In other words, what does he see that the crowds do not? Let's pick it back up in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all, this is the crowd, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus is interested in seeing Jesus, but more than that, Jesus is interested in seeking out Zacchaeus. And it's out of response to that that we, we see uh, Zacchaeus repent in such an incredible way, not washing over what he's done in the past. No, in fact, he's owning up to what he has done. I will give half of my possessions to the poor, not just income, not just money, half of what I have to the poor. This, this is even more striking when we compare Zacchaeus to the rich young ruler that we saw in, in chapter 18, which I think we're supposed to compare the two of them. This man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions and follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away unwilling to do anything. Zacchaeus, when, when he is sought out by Jesus, repents, responds in such an incredible way. And, and what he's doing with his actions isn't just saying, hey, I promise I'll be a good boy and never do the bad things that I did before. No, he is acting in a way where it is impossible for him to go back to his life before. He, he gives away money, yes, but also with that is given away power and authority. And by uh, repaying those that he defrauded, it's implied here, but it's a really, it's an easy way to get there from, from just seeing how drastic his repentance is. He is saying, I will not defraud anymore. That means he can't make money as a tax collector. He is saying, my entire life as it was before is changed. I am turning from that. I am repenting to follow you, to, to seek you, Jesus, and return to you seeking me. The passage starts with Zacchaeus' interest in Jesus, but more important than that, Jesus demonstrates interest in Zacchaeus. He seeks him out as someone who is lost. He draws near to him. And because of that, because Jesus sought him out, this one who is lost has been found. And we see the response to that. We see his faith that's implied in the text. It says that he is a son of Abraham. It's not talking about his nationality. Abraham is a figure of faith. He is joining him in faith. So because of his faith, because of his repentance, we see that this man who was lost 
who was sought out by Jesus has been found. Salvation has come to his household. We have two responses in this passage. How do we respond to Jesus coming to seek and save the lost? Well, we follow him. We live in obedience to him. We turn to him for all things, all direction in life. And we repent. We turn away from our lives before that has been changed now because Jesus has drawn near to us. And these two things, uh, following him and repentance, uh, these, these aren't uh, two different options, but they're one in the same thing. We, we don't have days where it's like, today I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to do that. It's not a repentance day. No, it is both and. We repent from where we were before to follow after Jesus. And as we see this seeker, as we see what he has done, what he has accomplished, that he drew near to us so that we can know him, well, there's no other response than to do both of these things, following him and repenting. Because there is another response in this passage. There is one other reaction to Jesus, and that's the response of the crowd here. Now, the crowds throughout the book of Luke have been constantly amazed by Jesus. His teaching is amazing. His miracles are amazing. His authority is amazing. And we even see it in our, in our passage. When Jesus heals the man who was blind, despite the crowds trying to shush him up, they still react with amazement because he does this incredible thing. The crowds constantly react favorably towards Jesus. And yet when Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house, that's when they start to grumble. I mean, they've loved hearing about all the kindness uh, about Jesus. They, they got so excited about the incredible works that, they, that he's done. They, they rejoiced when, when Jesus knocked those leaders, the elites of society, down a peg. They, they were so enthused when Jesus talked about good news for all people because they saw themselves as being part of all people. But once they got a little bit more to that picture when they saw that Jesus wasn't interested in doing things just as they wanted it to be done, when they saw the kindness that they loved for themselves extended to people that they hate, well, that's the first time that we see the crowd start to turn on Jesus. And it tells us something about this crowd, those people flocking to him, that this interest that they've had, this mild curiosity well, it turns out to be nothing more than that, curiosity. And there's a correction here for all of us, that as we see that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, when we see that this is God who has made himself known, we learn that we can't just know Jesus a little bit. We can't just know Jesus a little bit. It's impossible when we see all that he has done for us, when we see who he is and what he's done, when we, when we see these incredible stories, this, this kindness that he shows that is, it surpasses anything else that we've ever seen, uh, the, the teaching that he does and, and how wonderful it is, when we see all of this, we cannot just respond to Jesus a little bit. 
Because what we see is that those who truly do see this Jesus, whether it's a blind man on the side of the road or Zacchaeus up in a tree, there's no other response than this instinctual, necessary response. Because when, when Bartimaeus is there and, and he finally receives mercy in this way, when he is approached by this Jesus who has come to seek and save him and he now has sight, something he was so desperate for, what other response is there but following him in obedience, rejoicing, being his disciple, living into this new identity that's given to him? When we see Zacchaeus up in a tree, but Jesus draws near to him, seeks him out and offers him salvation and hope and a future, things that he thought he would be excluded from. No, 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 that he knew that he would be excluded from, from how he lived. What other response would there be but turning away from his former way of living to follow after this Jesus? When we see who Jesus is and what he's done, when we see time and time again the mercy that's extended to us, when we see what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, when we see that he has sought, he seeks to save the lost, which is all of us, what other response is there but following him and repenting? But the crowd doesn't do that. The crowd doesn't respond in that way. They don't like everything that they've seen about Jesus. The cost of following Jesus is high. And so they grumble. It's not too long that after this, that a crowd, yes, probably a different crowd than this one, but still a crowd moves from grumbling to shouting, crucify him. When we see what Jesus does, We cannot have just a little bit of it. There are these two responses. One is the twofold part of following him and repenting. Everything else is rejection. And so I want to focus on on that part. So so why choose to follow him? It, It requires everything from us. It requires repenting, turning away from our old way of living, which some of how we've been living before, that's very comfortable. It's very easy. It's, it's gratifying at times. Giving your life to anything, to follow Jesus, giving your life to anything though, in this age of individualism is just not really something anyone does. So why would we choose to follow him? Especially since other places seem to offer solutions. Yeah, we all have parts of us that we don't like or, or things that, that we would love to change about our lives. Other places seem to offer an answer to that that doesn't cost as much from me. It doesn't require everything that I have in obedience. So wouldn't I just go down that route instead? Why would we follow this Jesus? Why would we repent to go after him? It's because what we see in Jesus is that he accomplishes that which we cannot, that which no one else can. He demonstrates a care for us beyond what we can comprehend. How do we break away from our selfishness? Well, we see that Jesus loves us more than we ever could. How do we give up so much for this Jesus? Well, we are in awe of what Jesus gives up for us. We are amazed truly amazed, more than the crowd ever was, by the lengths that Jesus goes to seek 
and save the lost. Because this is what Jesus said right before he healed the former blind man. This is what he promised would happen. This is what he said he was going to do. This is Luke 18 in verse 31. And taking the 12, Jesus said to them, see, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything that was written about the Son of Man, everything that was written about me by the prophets, everything in the Old Testament that talked about me will be accomplished. For he, this is Jesus, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, after whipping him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. One of the things he fulfills, again from Isaiah, that he accomplishes as he seeks and saves the lost, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's our Jesus. That's what the seeker does for us. And so what other response is there? Other than ignoring people telling us to be quiet as we're shouting out for mercy. Ignoring the stares of people as we climb up trees. That as we see this Jesus, as we see this seeker of what he has done for us, what other response is there but following him and repenting? Because in Jesus, we see more than just an interesting subject matter. We see more than just stories that make us feel warm and fuzzy. We, we see more than just beautiful teaching that talked about equality and things that we like. No, what we find in Jesus is that we are found. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful. Every week we say, we are so grateful that you sent your son. That there are a lot of places offering hope or life or peace or encouragement, and yet they all fall short of offering a solution, of showing care because you demonstrated the utmost care and love for us when you came into this world and you died on our behalf, that you took what we had earned away from us to give us life. And as we see that, what other response is there but following you and repenting? Help us, encourage us as we are looking to live for you alone, that as we have been so amazed by what you have done, Let that continue to work in us, to shape us as we see that the way you have for us is better than all else. Help us to follow you, repenting from all things that take us away from you. Like as the blind man does, he takes this new sight and directs it solely to you. Let us follow in those same footsteps. It's to you that we pray. Amen.